0: Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles, to the 20th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. We'll be reading from verse 41 down to the end of the chapter, to verse 47. Let me read you. And he, that is Jesus, said to them, that is the scribes and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, How can they say that Christ is the son of David? Now David himself said in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore David calls him Lord. How is he then his son? Then, in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples... Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, loving greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues and the best seats, the places at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Amen. So, We looked last week at um, Jesus' question to the priests, to the scribes, to the elders about how could David call his son Lord. And we looked at that and in our text here, we we, we skip a little bit of the uh, conversation. It then continues on. Or, no, sorry, before, sorry, it was before that, remember that Jesus was asked by one of the scribes, it tells us in the other Gospels, not in Luke's Gospel, it tells us in Matthew's, that Jesus was asked by one of the scribes, what is the greatest of commandments? And Jesus answers, tells him the commandment. Um, and the, the, the scribes answer back, you've, you know, you've spoken well, well done. And in response Jesus then makes this comment in verse 45 where he turns to his own disciples in the hearing of all of the the peoples, the crowd that's around him sitting quietly listening to the discourse back and forth. And he, he says to them, beware of the scribes, be on your guard, watch out for. Why does he say this? We know that the the scribes, the elders, they were have these men have been his chief opponents all throughout his ministry. These are the people whose responsibility it was to disseminate, to break up the word of God, and to teach the people. They were almost like the bureaucrats of their day. They were the ones who who kept everything flowing. They were one part religious leader, one part legal administrator. And they give the impression of being pious and good and righteous and and straight conservative to use a a, a modern understanding. They give the, the the of being righteous, the, the impression of being righteous. And yet Jesus in his discussion dialogue communication to his his disciples he warns them specifically about these super religious super righteous looking people they were christian we would call them christianized they were nominal jews very religious but yet jesus is saying be on your guard with them don't allow them in. And it's the idea. Remember, my, my son is in the army right now. Does a lot of guard duty. Hiya. Unless you're preaching, you can't be up here, man. <laughs> Just like his dad wants to be in the pulpit. Um, my son is in the army and does a lot of guard duty. And of course they're on the watch against Russia. The great enemy. Not really. But just in case someone would invade. I can't imagine the Swedes would want to invade us. Um, you know, But they have to be continually on their guard. And so uh, my big son email was telling me that they, they stand there in the cold. And uh, they're on the watch. When they're out on manoeuvres. And they, they build a little tent grounds and the little camps and some people sleep and then somebody has to guard and they have to be on their watch and their superior officers always try and catch them whenever they're not, you know, because there are some fellas who will, who will be on their phone all night, you know instead of watching they'll be on Instagram you know, or be on Facebook or whatever the young people are into these days I don't know and so the superior officers will try and sneak up through the bushes or through the the blueberry things, the Reese, and try and catch the guys when they're not paying attention. My email takes it super serious. He's like his mom, very super serious. He's already got his first, what is it, Undersagent, whatever that is. Lance Corporal Corporal English, that's exactly what it is. So they've been been instructed and told that they have to be on their guard because there could come at any moment. And obviously it's not foreign invaders. It's their their superior officers trying to catch them out. They're playing a game with them. And so they have to be continually on their guard. So they ask a question. If they don't answer it, they get to shoot them or something. I don't know. Jesus warns his disciples about these scribes And it's a very apt warning for us in our day. Not everything that glitters is gold, the old saying is. Not everyone who looks righteous is righteous. Not everyone who professes faith in God truly has faith in God. Not everyone who seeks to be a leader or proclaims himself as a leader or thinks of himself as a leader within the church of God is actually a leader in the Church of God. The scribes here were an elite class. They weren't just people like you and I. They were the intellectual elite. They all had letters after their name, M, D, M, C, whatever, you know. They were the professional religious people. One part religious, one part legalistic. They were like lawyers, as we would understand them. Beware. I like that word, beware. Be cautious of. The idea isn't that you, you you can fellowship with them or you can be a part of them. You just have to be careful. The idea here is to avoid them. Don't even let them in. Be afraid of them. Be on your guard against. Don't let them infiltrate. Strong language Jesus is using. And he's saying it in front of everybody with the scribes standing right there. He's not mincing words. He doesn't whisper it to them. He speaks freely and openly and warns his own disciples, the teachers, that he is that he is raising up, but also that it goes beyond the teachers and the hearing of all the people, they're witnessing what is being said. Strong language. Strong language. I think if the church of God would be more on its guard, we wouldn't have half as many problems as we have today. We wouldn't have the weak mamby-pamby church that we have today. We wouldn't have the boy men, pastors that we have today. You know, we think of men of our generations, like the, 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 the warrior pastors, I like to call them, you know. MacArthur, sprawl. for all the theological differences. I know sprawl has gone. But we're still so close that his his memory still has influence in the world that we have today. His presence is God, but the influence of the man still exists today. We're still able to, to access him. Now, he has left a footprint in our time that will last for a while. But will dissipate and fade out after a storm a little bit. But we have very few of these warrior pastors, these men who will stand and protect the flock against the, the ravaging wolves, the savage wolves of our time. And again, who are these wolves? Well, we're not worried about the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons or the Seventh-day Adventists. We're not worried about Islam. We're not worried about these very obvious cults and false doctrines. No, 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 no. It's the ones who present themselves as being evangelical. The ones who present themselves as being reformed. The ones who present themselves as being somebody in our day. See, the scribes, they were the bloggers of their day. They were the the ones who had some kind of media presence. They were very successful in the Twitter of their day. They were very successful in the the, the Instagram of their day. They were very successful. They had a greater outward presence. A great PR. They were outwardly successful, outwardly pious. They were outwardly righteous. They're the kind of fellow that you would look at and go, you know, wow, well, I wish I had a ministry like that if you're a ministry-minded person. But yet they had no true and real concern for the people of God. There was an absence of inward reality. All they were concerned about is how many likes they got at a post using modern day vernacular. All they were concerned was how many people were talking about them. All they were concerned about was what magazine were they in. They were not concerned about the truth of God or the welfare, well-being of the people of God. They just wanted to be recognised as being somebody Their lives were not revolved around God. They did not revolve around God. They revolved around themselves. They were not slaves to God. They were slaves to their own instincts. Their God was their tummy, their own appetites. And Jesus warns his disciples, oh, if we could hear that and take it on board. Not that we're paranoid, you know, and oh, oh, but that we take on board the warnings that Jesus gives us, because Jesus didn't just say, "Look out for these kind of people." You no, know, the the scribes. But then he goes into detail about the kind of people that he's talking about. He details them for us. He gives a description of them so that we're not ignorant about who we're to be looking out for. So that we can never be taken by surprise. So that we can say, I didn't see that one coming, did you? Who would have known? Jesus portrays them with his x-ray vision. I love it. He lays them bare before all of creation. Takes away the facades and the illusions and the imitations. With Jesus' You know, in Ireland we say a spade is a spade. You know, it's not a shovel, it's a spade. It's, there's no, nothing fancy there. It is what it is. And Jesus is a straightforward speaking man. That's one of the reasons why you knew that he spoke with a country accent. Jesus was a country fella. <laughs> you know, he really spoke like a country fella. He said it as it was. He had that bonf enough you know, that kind of instinct really offended the educated people, you know, because he just saw through. It's one of those things that, that Donald Trump has been so successful in being able to do that he speaks through all the jargon and all the nonsense, and he just happens to say, like Donald Trump says a lot of strange, weird, wacky, weird things, but he has been very successful in striking a chord with the populace. Hence, I mean, how many people did he have in that that uh, rally that he just had you know, Jesus had the same ability to reach the normal everyday man and when Jesus is speaking about these elite educated men he portrays them as they really are and he does so not just to bring them down but to warn the church of God We have suffered in the last 150 years from elitism, elitism, from liberalism, from the social gospel that has come in, communism has come into Christianity. These are not new things. The church was struggling with these things way back in the 1900s, early 1900s. And again, if we, the church, would simply take heed to the warnings of Christ and not give power to, not give credence to, not form relationships to those men of this world, the church would be so much healthier than it really is. We would have generations of men like MacArthur, men like Sproul, We we would see a a, a new renaissance, the Christian renaissance man. There would be a new reformation and I don't mean a charismatic reformation, beloveds. There would be, once again, Christian men, women, the people of Christ rising up and taking their place and showing forth the way they're supposed to. Now let's look at who Jesus says these men are. Who desire going around. To go around in long robes. The very first thing he comments on. Is the way that they're dressed. They're not dressed like the everyman. They dressed in these long robes. The idea is. If you've ever seen them. was They, they drove in long robes. Actually, means unnecessary many clothes. They wore like long sleeves and many many layers things that were impractical to wear now the every man in jesus's day dressed pretty much the way we are except of course they had bathrobes and you know yeah if you've ever seen a nativity play at christmas time we've all seen the tea towels and ties and bathrobes and t-shirts you know with the angels and their dad's white shirts People wore simple clothing and they wore practical clothing. You know, if you were working hard every day, digging in the fields, you didn't wear five, six, ten layers of clothing with big sleeves and giant tassels and and unnecessary long headgear with fine shoes. I'll always remember that preacher that we brought here from the States. And... uh, it was March. We, I picked him up in the car, and we parked the car, and he opened the door of the car, and he swung his legs around, and he looked down, and there was mud on the ground, and he was afraid to put his feet down. I, I'm not saying he's one of these guys who just, he just doesn't like getting dirty, uh, and uh, and his wife who was sitting in the back of the car, she laughed and said, "Yeah, you'd never be a country country preacher, would you, sweetie?" And uh, you know, there are some people who just don't want to get their really expensive 80 90 Euros shoes dirty. They they, they, they don't like want I think of again again another brother who went on a spurgeon tour with our beloved Jeremy and uh, he wouldn't take off his jacket and tie. He wouldn't wear welly boots. He wouldn't take off his his dress trousers be even though they had to go walking along the, the bank of a river, through ditches, through waist-high grass to get where they're supposed to going. And uh, Jeremy was like, would you like to change shoes now? And the man said, yes, yes, please. There are just some people who have spent too much time in the library and not enough time outside in the fields And the first illustration that Jesus uses when he's talking about these is the way that they're dressed. They dress in such an unrealistic way, in a way that is to draw attention to themselves. It is to show that they are different. They're not like the common man. But there is something special about them. And that specialness is seen in how they dress. Now, when I was a young man in the Pentecostal movement, you could tell what kind of church a pastor had by the suit that he wore. And when I was young, silvery suits, they were grey silver, double-breasted suits were the fashion. Double-breasted, you know, like gangster nineteen. gangster suits you know and they were silver like the mafia so Irish pastors would wear silver not you're thinking like suit of armor silver but they were gray and they shone a little and if you had a bigger church then you were able to get a bigger nicer suit pin, stripe, and, and shiny and I hated it I, I got in a lot of trouble because I wanted to wear just a, a normal tie normal shirt and I mean there was like men who were wearing patterns on their shirt the the tie was worth more than all the clothes that I was wearing they wore clothes in order to bring attention and if we think of the world church we think of like the roman catholic church we think of the anglian or even the lutheran church from our own experience how their pastors and ministers are dressed their bishops with their funny hats and their sashes that they wear you know they have that cool uh scarf you know it's a green scarf with a cross and all on gold tassels at the bottom and they come with their special and they wear different clothes to give themselves an air of mystery an air of superiority that they're wearing these holy vestments, these holy clothes that make them more holy. And they have to walk in a certain way, you know, in a pious and holy way. And it's because they, they're trying to create the image of being something other. You know, when I became a full time pastor, I remember having a discussion with our beloved brother Tom Rupkala. And I, there was a time when we first started the church where I would have jeans on and just a shirt. You know, I was very casual when we first started. I haven't always looked as smart as I am today. And Pastor Tom said to me, Kyle, there's a reason why doctors dress like doctors and policemen dress like policemen my pastors in the pulpit have to be dressed like pastors in the pulpit because when people look upon you they will judge you according to how you are dressed they will respect you or not respect you because how you're dressed that's just how people work people do if you go to a dentist's uh, office surgery thank you and a person comes out wearing a white coat you know, one of those white coats, uh, you know what I mean, wearing a mask with the little blue trousers and they say your name. They don't identify themselves. They don't, they don't say, hey, I'm a dentist. They just say who they are. They just say, can you say your name? You get up, you go into the room, you sit down, you open your mouth. They stick things in your mouth. Have you ever once asked a dentist, are you qualified? Have you ever once asked a dentist, how often have you done this? Do you know what you're doing? Can I see some qualifications and some past experience photographs of people's teeth that you have drilled? Why don't you do that? Because you have been trained from birth that a person dressed like that is a dentist and therefore you're to respect their authority. You're driving down the road like Joel does, 150 miles an hour. (laughs) Not at all. Joel doesn't drive that fast. But if Joel was to drive 150 kilometers an hour down the road and then all of a sudden there's flashing lights from behind him and he's oh oh and Susanna hits him. And they have to park the car. And someone comes and knocks on their window and Joel whines down the window. Or that side, I don't know which house. It's that side is it? I don't know. One of the sides, depending what car we're and country we're in. And a man, or a woman, stands there, dressed in a uniform, with a funny hat, a belt with a gun, and says, license registration, please. Do you know how fast you're doing? Takes all your details, and you just comply, because we're good Finnish people. We just comply, we just do what we're supposed to do. We're not like some nations who, we're very helpful and compliant, to the police which are those whom we perceive, how often, hopefully that's never happened to you, but how often do you ever ask, can I see some credentials please? How often, sir, have you been doing this? Who are you? Why should I believe you are who you are? Because they're driving a police car dressed in a police uniform and they're giving the impression that they're police, so you and I automatically just respect them because of the way they are dressed their uniform gives them power. Now, you think of a policeman or policewoman trying to do the exactly the same thing, not dressed in a police uniform. And a policeman came just dressed in a T-shirt and trousers, as in jeans, sorry, knocked on that window, Joel's like, winds down the window, can't remember which way he is, but winds down the window, it was, okay, and there's a person standing there in jeans and a t-shirt and says, can I see your, your license and registration? What will be your reply? Here we go. Why would I have to respect you? Sorry, what's going on here? The first thing you do is you phone the police. Why? Because their garb gives them authority. You respect, you have been trained from birth to respect people in uniform. That's why the military is the way the military is. It's all based on uniform and ranks and insignias and you're to respect those in authority. And here Jesus is warning about those who take advantage of that. They take advantage of your inbuilt system of recognition. They take advantage of us. In that, they play up. They create a, uh, an unholy caricature of something religious. Why do you think the Pope wears all the stuff the Pope wears? You know, with his jewels, his bling, and his gold, and his white? Because the people of this world look and recognize and think, well, oh, he must be holy. He must be righteous. He must be successful. Just look at the way that he's dressed. And Jesus would have us not deceived by the way people are dressed. The Lord Jesus Christ didn't have all that bling. We're told that he had only the garments that he wore. He didn't need to have a a uniform to reach people or to carry the authority. I'm not encouraging you all to come here in jeans and t-shirts and be scruffy. Okay, but I'm encouraging you not just to, to take people at face value, not just to look upon a man and think that he must be something just because he's dressed like a clown. You know, uh, I remember once being at a, a meeting in the south of Finland where there was a woman priest it was at a confirmation meeting, you no know, like when the kids are confirmed, were at a relative's confirmation. In the Lutheran church. And there's a woman priest got up. Into the pulpit. My boys all like. Looked directly at Sarah and I. What is going on? Why is that woman preaching? And Sarah was like. And I can remember one of my boys going. She's not a pastor. (laughs) Pastor can't be a woman. And all these heads were turning around. And Sarah was going. Hence why we were sitting in the back row. You know. And. And. and she got up and she gave this little homily, this little happy story that you don't actually have to believe in God. You just don't want have to want to believe in God. And even then, even if you don't want to believe in God, it's okay because God believes in you. And no matter what you do in your life, you always remember God will always be looking after you, even if you hate him. My boys are like that, it's not that true. No much of but here she, and then she, again, she was wearing these robes. You know the big white robes that they wear with the big sleeves? And my boys were like, she looks like a clown. She looks like a clown. Because if you were to see a person like that in real life, if you were to wear those robes in, have you ever seen a person dressed like that walking around Prisma? I don't know, I've never. Have you ever seen a person dressed like that going hiking? Or fishing or cutting their grass. It's not a natural It's performance. It's performance. It's to create an illusion of spirituality, of otherworldliness, of coming from a different place. And Jesus warns his disciples about them. You'll be able to identify them because of the way they dress. They dress funny. I like to say that. It's like so, so prejudiced, doesn't it? They will dress in flowing robes. In a, such a way to draw attention to themselves. To give the illusion of spirituality and otherworldliness. He then goes on, "They love greetings in the marketplace, and I like people to say hello to me. You ever see me in the street? I will say hello. I like that. As well. I am a loud person, and I like to say hello. So if you ever try to hide from me, I will chase you down, and I will say hello. But he's not talking about saying hello to people. It means deference. It means to to uh, show great respect." Hello, sir. How are you, sir? Teacher, rabbi, father, if you're Roman Catholic, you father. It means deference and, and, and to de- de- devalue yourself and to lift them up, to put much value. So these persons, they were dressing in a unique way, in an unrealistic overly spiritual fashion but not only that they had the need the desire the want the love the joy the addiction to being recognized and being saluted the idea again if you're in the army you salute your superior officer you show respect but well, these people are declaring themselves something greater than the normal person. They need, they desire, they want to be recognized. They love it. They love it. No, 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 no. no it's okay, just do it. But they love it. And if they don't get it, they get slighted and angry. Remember that. There was a, a, I call him a gentleman, a traveling evangelist. He drove a giant bus with Jesus written on the side of it. And he had been traveling around all the Lutheran churches. And he had been to Pisamaki, is that what it's called? The big Lutheran camp. And apparently he he, he had gone very, he was very successful. small man stank of cigarettes, was, was unwashed. Very weird little Englishman and he came up here and I was invited to come and meet him like he was the Messiah or something and so you know, I came and sat down in the, in the little um, ungdoms for something you know youth barn type thing and I heard this <coughs> I'm not joking that's how it sounded coming from outside I was like what is going on out there and he literally kicked the doors of the uh the, wasn't it Fasami, some like Youth Barn, Youth youth Hall, kicked them open so that they dramatically went. Dun, dun. And he came in all dressed in this big black robe with this little white thing, you know, a little white collar, but it was inside in a cross shape. And he came in, and he was singing some sort of weird chant, you know, with a rope belt hanging down, you know. I'm a Baptist, you know, and I'm like, "What on earth is going on here?" It's like Lucia when he' dressed in black, howling like a cat, and he comes in and he, everybody's like, "Oh, look at that!" And he thinks and, and he goes to the front and then And everybody's like, "Oh and I'm like, "What am I sitting through?" What is this? And so he goes through and he does his thing and, and it's utter nonsense. He does songs and funny jokes and uh, a gospel that's not a gospel. And then after the things, so I'm thinking, I have to get out of here. This is ridiculous. I have to leave. And so afterwards, the, the people who organized it, uh, the leaders of sleth. They, asked, they, they, they introduced us and he says, I'm sure you know who I am. That's what he said to me. The very first thing he said to me was, I'm sure, I'm sure you know who I am. I'm sorry, I don't know who you are. He says, well, then you're just not paying attention, are you? And I was like, okay, I think it's time for me to leave. Thank you very much. And so I was leaving and the gentleman who organized it, the leader here among the Slav people, he said, so what did you think? It was fabulous, wasn't it? So powerful. So, and I was like, it was the greatest big nonsense ever. Oh my goodness. If we knew our Bibles better, such men as that would not, because that man was an utter charlatan. An utter charlatan. A false prophet, a wild wolf. Someone who was coming and taking advantage of the congregations and trying to solicit funds to pay for his bus and his just ridiculous, ridiculous. I went onto his bus and he had a downstairs area where people were allowed, and then an upstairs area which he asked people, you know, please don't go. So I went upstairs to see what was on because I'm that way inclined. And there were whiskey bottles and um, uh, ashtrays full of cigarettes. And I thought, if I open any of these cupboards, there's going to be pornography and everything else because that's just, just ridiculous. And, and again, I was like, holy, you know, just shocked. The apparentness of it, because obviously he Finns are not like Irishmen who will go upstairs to see what's really going on. You know, open doors and walk up the stairs. If we knew the scriptures well enough, even if it's just a little, such charlatans would not be able to come and take advantage of us. Jesus warns his church: "Be on your guard. Be on your guard against this." professional religious type who dress funny and love to be recognized they love when people like can i have your autograph sir they love when people meet them in the airports and say oh you're fantastic you're great you're wonderful and they hunger and thirst for it that's their bread and butter that's their addiction we need to be on our guard against men whose lives revolve around themselves and their ministries and their names who are addicted to the thrill of being recognized and being respected. Oh come in pastor, come in pastor It goes on the best seats in the synagogues. These are the men who have to sit in the front row dial dial Perfect. no These are the the men who have to come and sit in the preacher's row. They, They have to be in a place either on the pulpit or near the pulpit. It's not enough for them just to attend an event or come to a church. But they must be in a specific place where everyone can see them. When I was a younger man... Growing up in the Pentecostal movement. The pastors would have their chairs. Right here. They'd have their chairs. Sorry I just moved out of the video. Sorry. They'd have their chairs by the pulpit. So the pastors would sit. On the stage. I can't even say it was a pulpit. On the stage. In front of everybody. When we were in Africa. And Sarah and I were in Africa. Julia was there too. They had a leather sofa for us, didn't they? Big giant leather sofa. And they would have picked it up and moved it with me sitting on it and put it on the... on the. On the. They brought us our our waters. They brought, gave them plastic bottles, but they, they brought it in, in uh, gold and crystal decanters for Sarah and I on a little golden trolley. They wheeled up beside me. Can we get you anything, sir? Would you like anything, sir? Why? Because that's... What they were taught to do. Because that's what their leaders, these false, false religious leaders. They loved it. They expected it. And the more you had, the greater your ministry. The more people recognized you, the, the more famous that you were, the more successful you were at ministry. It means that God is blessing you. I was mentored by a really great guy. I don't theologically I don't agree with him anymore. But I learned a lot from him and he banged into my head three basic rules, the three things that will destroy your ministry. If you flirt with these things, if you look at these things, if you if you give any foothold, toehold, hold kneel toe hold, hold to any one of these three vices, they will destroy your ministry. And he put them the love of money. The love of female company or sexual company. And the, the third, popularity. The need for people to know who you are. The need to be always seen and heard. The need to always be at the front. Those three, three lessons have stood me well. These are the men who need to be seen and heard. The men who always have to be at the front. The men whose opinion matters the most. Jesus warns his disciples about these men. And the best place at feasts. I have been very blessed to be able to go to um, some really big conferences hang out with people and have know some pastors of mega churches. And when you go to these conferences, they're usually broken up into the men with congregations of over five thousand, again of course America. And then it kind of breaks down. And you can kind of see where everyone is put together. You know, by the according to the size of their congregation. And then you have the, the guys who have like little congregations like me tucked in the corner somewhere. They're wasting their time. A pastor once told me when you're finished wasting your time there in Finland, you want to come back and serve the Lord in a big church, in a real church, just let us know. These men desire the best seats in the synagogue and the best place to feast. So, when you go to these conferences and you're eating your lunch, your meal that usually come with these conferences, the men, the pastors are usually sat together in certain places and you have the big table. The big table with all the big names sitting at it. The rest of us, mere mortals, are far away looking at it. Oh, I wish I could go sit at that table. Ooh. I wish I was part of that. And these are the men who love, not necessarily the, the people of the conference I've been to, but the people whom Christ is talking about here and now, they love to sit at the elite table, at the, the, the big table. You know when there's a wedding, normally you have the wedding table, you know and then you have the, the table set by, by different standards, who's closest to the family and they like. It's, it's, and then there's a table far down there for the kids. No? Way over there. Well, these are the men who need to be sitting beside the wedding party. They're the people who need to be recognized, heard, and seen and respected just because they are who they are. But Jesus warns us about them. Who devour widows' houses. The idea here was that they preyed on the weakest people in the their communities. In Christ's time, a scribe, when a a widow's husband died, or when a woman's husband died and she became a widow, and she had no man there to represent her legally. Women did not have the right to have legal counsel, as in they couldn't represent themselves. They needed a man to do it for them. And so these scribes would adopt the widow on the pretense of looking after her. And they would have her sign all of her her papers over to him. He said, I'll look after you, I'll care for you. You're protected with me. And so the weak and the vulnerable would turn to these men. But instead of helping them, they convinced them to sign their papers over to them. And then they took everything from these widows. The widows would die in a year or two and, the man, the scribe, would be left with the, all of the property of that widow. You no, know, actually, <clears throat> remarked once when a, a Lutheran priest told me that I was asking, so he was telling me about all the forest that the Lutheran church owns in that particular commune, uh, county, and I, and I was like, wow! How do you guys own so much forest? They said, "Well, you know, old people when you know they get to a certain age and they can't look after their things. Well, we, the church, then look after them for them. And of course, they go to the hemet and then they die, and the things have been left to us. And so we, as the church, take care of them. They they, uh, they they leave their their the forest over to us, and so then it resorts back. To the church owns it, and you know, and so we we're able to use it." And, And I was, I said to him, "Oh, just like the people that Jesus said warned us against in the Bible." And he went, "What?" You know, like what? And I was like, "Ah!" I could just sense my wife going, "Shh." These are the people who take advantage of the weakest people in society. Instead of caring for them and providing for them and protecting for protecting them, they prey on them. They present protection, they promise protection, but all they really do is harvest and hamster for themselves the riches, everything that they can get. Jesus warns us of it's taking all the benefit without doing any work, you know, they just take everything for themselves. And then he talks about, finally, and for a pretense we'll make long prayers. The idea here isn't just that they pray long prayers. Their prayers are long, but they are shallow. There is no real depth to their prayers because they're not praying heavenward. They're praying to the people around them. We used to call these preachy prayers. Prayers that are full of preaching. So when he's praying, supposedly, he's really communicating to the people around him. He's either telling people what they should do or informing them what he does. His prayers are not aimed at God, but rather at the attention of the people around him. There is again a need to draw attention to himself. They may be eloquent prayers. They may be beautifully worded. He might be able to quote hymns and scriptures. But it's a boomerang prayer. It comes right back to him. It never penetrates the veil of heaven. It doesn't get past the ceiling of the building. They pray long and pretty but there's no power in their prayers. They're not dressed with real faith. It's simply a way of, again, drawing attention to themselves. It's a way of flashing those intellectual muscles. Jesus is warning us of these kind of men and if we would wake up and Take care if we would learn our lessons, our church would be so much more healthier than it is you know we <laughs> the Church of God has been so weak over the last x amount of years that we let anyone into the pulpit you know that we, we let anyone in the pulpit or have not necessarily in this church but traditionally i I, I remember one of the uh, Pentecostal pastors saying to me, the greatest reason to justify having women in the pulpit was because none of the men wanted to do it. None of the men wanted to do it. Therefore, God lets the women step up. I said, so God lets women violate his word. Well, is it not better to have several women in the pulpit than to have just one or two men? I said, so what's your problem? What's your difficulty with having The man, well, he's awfully hard. He's awfully single-minded. It's either what the Bible says or no way. And I'm like, but is that not what the Bible says? Well, you know, we just can't have that. It sounds awfully harsh and hard when you say things like that. You know, and people can't take it. Beloved, Jesus is warning his disciples about this particular class of people kind of people because there is an, an instinct in people, in you and I human beings to lean towards this kind of professional religious person we talked earlier about the responsibility of freedom and how it's Much more comfortable to be a slave under the authority of someone and not have to be responsible for yourself than to live free and to be self-responsible, self-reliant. The buck stops here. You have, you know, as a free person, you have to think, you have to plan, you have to practice. But as a slave, you just do what you're told. You don't have to think, you you know, you just feel like a seal in, in in the zoo you know or a zoo but some of those performing seals or a dolphin or a orca these mighty majestic creatures and they have them jumping through hoops for a little tiny fish you know cut your hand and they throw a little fish and're you thinking this creature could eat everybody in this in this arena, and here we have it jumping through hoops and pretending to sunbathe and all these ridiculous things beloved we the church are mighty and powerful we do not need to bend the knee to the the peoples of this world and look for the leaders from this world jesus has warned us and told us to be on our guard the idea is is not to participate or to be adjoined to we're not allowed them to influence. We're not to emulate or copy them. We're not to be like them. We we don't. You know when I got married hundred years ago because I am that old. When Sarah and I got married, we asked a Pentecostal pastor to marry us because, of course, I was from Pentecostal church. Sarah was from the Lutheran church. Blah blah blah. And we got married in a little Lutheran chapel in Perkines, lovely place. And so, the day of the wedding, the Pentecostal pastor, Ralph, with his comb-over. Men had comb-overs 20 years ago. You know, you know what a comb-over is? You may have never seen one. And, uh, and, and he had a, one of those long beards, you know, like a, 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 an Abraham Lincoln beard with a little moustache. And he had the side hair that came to here. A little tiny man, big glasses. and uh, Side hair. Come over, down there, big beard, big glasses, and he turns up on the day of the wedding, and he's wearing a suit. Man, praise God, hallelujah, like any respectable free church man would do. I turn my back, and we're getting stuff ready. Sarah hasn't arrived yet, and then uh, someone says, "Oh, she's coming, she's coming." The big white Cadillac drives up. Sarah had it was in a big white Cadillac, gorgeous car. And I turn round and there's Ralph coming out of a cupboard, you know, like a, a scrub. And he's wearing the Lutheran robes with their big belt and their big flappy scarf, you know, their ruby belt. And, and and I said, what are you doing? And he said, well, I just thought it would, it would look much better. And I'm like, I don't care how it looks, but are you were wearing that for it. And he says, you know, no, it's expected, it's expected. expected. And, and I I. I Sorry, sort sorry to come, so I couldn't really argue with the man as his last mm-hmm. moment. But he, he, we were married by a man who was dressed in Lutheran garb, which has always been to me one of the things that bugged me. Why did he do that? Because he thought that there would be an expectation upon him, that he wanted to be seen as really religious. He wanted to be seen as someone who was spiritual and otherworldly, that he... Mm-hmm. Uh, had taken upon himself the expectation that he was to be something greater, something not of this world. And he caved to that pressure and then he d- dressed in, as my boys call them, the bathrobes, you know? Beloved, let's not cave in. If we cave into something so obviously false as the bathrobes, and the, 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 perf- the big sleeves and the scarf, the holy dress with hats, and the, the magic staffs that, we, you know, that they, they use and all the rest of the stuff, and their funny collars. If we were to give in there, and that's an easy thing, when it comes to the, the, the theological issues, we just crumple and fall. We just give up and give in. We are to guard ourselves from the influence of these men. We're not allowed allowed to let them in and we're not allowed to emulate them, to copy them, to be like them, to desire or to give in to the pressure of behaving like them. Be on your guard. If the Christian church could learn this lesson, we would not have gone through these wilderness years that we have gone through in the last century and a bit. We would not have the majority of our pulpits being populated by women these days in the free church. We would not have weak men, manipulative men. We would not have all of the scandals. Christ sets a high bar. That we are not to have worldly men in the pulpit. We're not to be led by the professional elite. Now I'm not saying it's wrong to go and study theology. You all know I think it's, that's important. But when we adopt an elitist attitude. When we are more concerned about the letters after our name. Than the letters that are written in this book putting them into practice in our life. When we're more concerned about what the people know, our CV, our credentials, and that they should respect us because of my credentials. Don't you know who I am? You're just not paying attention then, are you? Ah. Beloved, let us be on our guard because the world is full of wolves. The Christian church has been notoriously stupid, dull, thick-hearted. And because of it, we have a plague of wolves and wicked men. The first act of revival will be a cleansing of Christ's church. The first act of reformation will be putting all these things out. Do you know how they did it in the reformation? They tore down the idols. ha, 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 ha. I can think of one that's going to go first. They tore them down and they burnt them. Please no one do that, okay? Let's wait for the revival to start before we do that. They tore them down and they ousted all of the all of the immoral men from the pulpits. They took back the pulpit. The, the Pope and all his bastard children, legitimate children, excuse me. All their wickedness. All those priests in the Reformation who were running brothels and were drunkards and had illegitimate children here, there, and there. Were perverts, paedophiles. The first act of revival and reformation will be to cleanse the temple. To put out all those men. To take back the church from the Jezebel spirit that has taken over. If you've read John Knox you'll get that reference. Far too many Marys. Oh beloved Christ warns his church, you and I. Now how then are we to put these things into practice? We have a universal given standard. We are to hold our leaders to this standard. A man who is full of himself will not be able to hide it. He will be a man who is always elbowing his way to the front. He is a man who will always be trying to cuddle up to people more powerful and and successful than himself. He's a man who, when a better deal comes along, will dump one church and flip to another. He's a man who who will write books just for the sake of writing books. So his name is heard. A man whose ministry revolves around himself. That his words and his voice are always heard. Let us hold our leaders to that, this standard. Let us look out for them. Let's not feed the beast. Let's not invite these men into our pulpit. Let's not even tip our hats to them or run after them and ask for their autograph. When we were in, when I was going to call you Duncan there, brother, when your name's not Francis either, Frederick, yeah. when Frederick and I were at the Shepherds Conference and lawn fellow Mark Driscoll, isn't that his name? Yep. appeared at the conference. You know, he gate he crashed it with James MacDonald in the car. And he tried to push his way through uh, to try and get into the conference. And he wanted to have a, 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 a duel with John MacArthur, a one-to-one duel, you know. And what really struck me was there were so many men who were asking him for selfies and autographs. And, uh, you know, there was a big, big crowd around him of worshippers of men who were like, you're so great. And again, at the time, I thought to myself, wow, respect the mark, you know, that he can come here and and he wants to have a conversation about these things. I think that's pretty good. It's better to go and speak to a man face to face than stay in the background and talk about him. But he wasn't really interested. He just wanted to make a show. He wanted to show the world how brave he wanted to be able to, which he did that evening at his own conference just down the road, boast of how he had Tried to get in, and then they threw him. And he told all these lies. But the thing that always struck me was the the crowd of worshippers, the crowd of sycophants, the crowd the crowd of of men who wanted to be close to him and have their selfie taken with him. This is the kind of man that we are worried about. The one who needs to be seen and heard and be in the front the one who browbeats, the one who doesn't really care about you, but will use you to gain his ministry. You're not a person to him. You're just a stepping stone. They take advantage of people around them and leave them dying and broken in their wake. We cannot allow these people to get into the church. We cannot allow their ways to infiltrate and influence us. Church, be careful who you follow on social media. Because social media, it, you don't know the man. You don't know the woman. You, you simply see a smiling face. You, you read prominent text. You, you, you read well written articles, but you don't know the man. You don't know who they are or what they're like. Be on your guard. Be careful. Take heed. Be careful who you listen to in sermons and preachings. Be careful of the books you read. That they're not encouraging self-promotion or the worship of, another man, of a, anyone other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Because finally, in verse 47, these will receive greater condemnation. They're not just going to suffer, but there's a greater suffering. These men who present themselves as the elite, as the professional religious class, as the ones who have all the answers. Here, Christ is saying that these these men, the men who seek to build an empire for themselves, a ministry for themselves, you know, the, the billboard and the smiling face. These men have a greater condemnation. Now you and I, we don't want to be associated with that. We don't want to be influenced or affected. Why don't we want to have this worldly popularity? Why don't we want to be successful in the eyes of the world? Because in doing so, it brings a greater condemnation upon themselves. Why don't we do things the way the world does them? Because it brings a greater condemnation upon them. They'll receive their reward in this life and in the next and numera, even more. Beloved, it's not a game. It's it's not pretend. It's not a pantomime or a play. This is real life and we are concerned about Christ's glory and about the health and well-being of his people. Be on your guard. Amen? Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us as always. We ask, O Lord, that you would help us. Lord, we recognize that the church, Lord, the people of God throughout the ages have been notoriously bad, Lord, at being on their guard against men like the scribes. Lord, we have flirted with them. We have allowed them to come in and and to uh, influence us through their actions and their words in the pulpit, Lord, we have desired to be like them. Lord, we we for the respectability of the world, help us, O oh God. Lord, let not the 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 method and the means of the world church so influence us and shape us that we bring this greater condemnation upon ourselves father for the people out there who are as the scribes we do pray mercy for them we pray father for the the all of those professional religious people lord who are so deceived we pray oh god that you would shine light into their eyes you convict them of their sins you bring them to a real and right repentance that they might believe in the lord jesus christ and be saved Oh, Father, we pray these things for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.